turn to God's holy word to 1 John chapter 5 in connection with our study in the Canons of Dort this evening about the assurance of perseverance. We've been studying the perseverance of the saints, that God keeps his own in the faith. But tonight, the assurance, the personal assurance that God will keep me, God will keep you. 1 John chapter 5, I'd like to read from there the first 13 verses, and it's especially at the end there that we come to the subject before us, but it's also interwoven in other verses here in this reading. First John 5 at verse 1, we read the God-breathed scriptures and give our careful attention. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And finally, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God's holy word. If you take out the Forms and Prayers book, then we will turn in there to the Canons of Dort and... In particular, page 280, approaching the end of the Canons of Dort, we've been going through their positive sections, though there's actually a rejection of errors following each section. So remember, there's five points, but they're written under four chapter headings or four heads of doctrine, and each of those has a rejection of error section, too. But we've just been going through the positive sections. We're at page 280. Under the perseverance of the saints or the preservation. And now we're looking at Articles 9 through 11. Article 9 says, concerning this preservation of those chosen to salvation and concerning the perseverance of true believers in faith, believers themselves can and do become assured in accordance with the measure of their faith, by which they firmly believe that they are and always will remain true and living members of the church, and that they have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Article 10 
Accordingly, this assurance does not derive from some private revelation beyond or outside the word, but from faith in the promises of God, which he has very plentifully revealed in his word for our comfort, from the testimony of the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit that we are God's children and heirs, and finally, from a serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. And if God's chosen ones in this world do not have this well-founded comfort that the victory will be theirs and this reliable guarantee of eternal glory, they would be of all people most miserable. Article 11, Meanwhile, Scripture testifies that believers have to contend in this life with various doubts of the flesh, And that under severe temptation, they do not always experience this full assurance of faith and certainty of perseverance. But God, the Father of all comfort, does not let them be tempted beyond what they can bear. But with the temptation, he also provides a way out. And by the Holy Spirit, revives in them the assurance of their perseverance. Let's bow to our God and ask him for his help this evening. Father in heaven, we come again to you in this Lord's Day, asking that you bless us through your word. You are indeed rich to all who call upon you. We have called upon you, and you have been rich. You've given us your holy scriptures in abundance. You've poured out your spirit, and you're working in us faith, growing it and strengthening it. We thank you, Lord, for your mercies. Come to be fed again by our shepherd who leads us in the green pastures, and we pray that he would nourish our souls, that he'd restore our souls. Minister to us tonight truth, give assurance to us where we have doubts. In Jesus' name we pray, guide us, Lord, in the way of Christ Jesus, amen. We've been studying, brothers and sisters, this uh, wonderful truth of the perseverance of the saints or the preservation of the saints, and it is a glorious doctrine. It's a truth like the other truths we've considered that flow out of eternal election. If you think of election, God's decree from eternity to save a particular people for himself, then out of this fountainhood of election flow glorious benefits. One of those, of course, is the atonement. Out of that decree of election, God gives his beloved son to die for the chosen ones, his sheep, to cover over all their sins by his blood, as we celebrated this morning. And out of that decree of election, another wonderful truth that, that God gives his spirit, the spirit of Christ, to call dead sinners to life and to effectually draw them into union with Jesus. And then also out of that fountainhead of election comes the promise that God will preserve or keep his people all the way to glory. They won't be lost. God doesn't lose bits and pieces along the way, but all those he has chosen, he will bring to the finish line. Psalm 138, God will perfect that which concerns me. He won't forsake the work of his hands. Philippians 1, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Or John 10, we saw last Sunday night that that Christ says that he's not going to lose any the Father gave him, that, that none shall be snatched from his hand or from the hand of the Father. God will finish what he started. But now tonight we notice that it's one thing to confess that God will keep his people, and it's another thing to be personally assured that God will keep me. 
Herman Bovink asks, Of what use would the doctrine of the preservation of the saints be to the children of God if they could never come to know with certainty that they are his children? Of what use is this doctrine we've been, we've been proclaiming that God keeps his people if we're not sure among his people? Of what use is the perseverance of the saints if we don't know if we are for sure saints? You say, well, does it matter? Does it matter whether we're assured? Does it matter whether we have confidence and certainty that, that God will bring us to the end? He will preserve our faith, that he will guard us from Satan? Well, it does matter. Because it's, it's out of that assurance that we serve God wholeheartedly. It's out of that confidence that we worship with gladness and thanksgiving. It's, it's out of that, that confidence that we are the Lord's, that, that we live a joyful life before the world and we make them jealous. And we confess in Article 10 that if, if we didn't have this well-founded comfort that the victory would be ours, that we're guaranteed eternal life, then we'd be of all people most miserable. Because think of it, to be a Christian is to know about hell and to be confident there is a hell. And to be a Christian is to have given up the worldly comforts and the pleasures that so many seek their refuge in upon earth. And if we've given up those phony comforts and we know there's a hell and we're not sure where we stand, we would be of all people most miserable. So we want assurance. Now presumption, of course, is not good. To think that we are saved when we're really not saved would be a horrible thing, right? And so 2 Corinthians 13.5 calls us to examine ourselves and see if we are in the faith. We must examine ourselves and know if we're in the faith. The, the, 1 John, the letter of 1 John gives tests. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he's the Son of God? Are you obeying God's commandments? Do you love the brothers and sisters? If you fail those tasks and you say you're a Christian, then you're deceiving yourself. But when you come to 1 John 5.13, this isn't about presumption. This is now written to believers about assurance. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Here the issue is not presumption but assurance. One writer says, the worst thing the church can do for non-Christians is to convince them that they are Christians. The best thing it can do for Christians is to assure them of God's electing and everlasting love. So let's look at this assurance of our perseverance tonight. Noticing, first of all, it's a great gift of God to us. And then asking, secondly, what's the basis of this assurance? What's the basis of our confidence? And then thirdly, considering the doubts that we have, the struggle to, to have this assurance. Well, first of all, the gift of assurance. This is a, a wonderful topic. Every believer really should have an interest in this, right? Because what could be more wonderful than to know that I belong to the Lord and I shall never be lost. I will arrive in glory. But if we assume tonight that everyone who thinks assurance of salvation is a good thing, then we'd be mistaken. The Roman Catholic Church certainly does not. In the days of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Counter-Reformation made a point on this at the Council of Trent in the 16th century. Session 6, Canon 16 says, Council of Trent, that's a Roman Catholic assembly. 
they wrote, If anyone saith that he will for certain, of an absolute and infallible certainty, have that great gift of perseverance unto the end, unless he have learned this by special revelation, let him be anathema. Well, there you go. Roman Catholic theology. If you say, I am certain, God will keep me to the end. Unless you got that by God giving you some kind of special revelation, apart from his word, then let you be damned. Well, that doesn't sound too good. Roman Catholic theology, assurance is not normal, it's not necessary, it's probably not good. In Roman Catholic theology, only a few can have assurance. Those who got a special word from God, a special vision, a special revelation. Only a a few select super saints. But for the rest of us, no, you just live in fear. You live in doubt. You try harder and maybe you'll make it. Our Reformed Father said it isn't so. Roman Catholic theology has to say that, right? Because salvation depends partly upon man's effort, upon his work. So how can you know you've done enough? But, but in Reformed theology, salvation stands in Christ alone who's done it all. So we can be certain because it's already accomplished. Salvation or assurance of salvation, assurance of perseverance is not just desirable, but it's God's gift to his children. True faith now contains that element of assurance, True faith is to be assured, and yet it's also true that the feeling and enjoyment of the assurance increases and decreases. We don't always feel equally assured, do we? It's our duty to cultivate assurance. Come to that in a moment. But notice right now that assurance is a gift from God. It's a gracious and loving gift of our Father. Why else would would God commission his Bible writers to write these words of confidence, or, or the psalm writers to, to give us psalms to sing, psalms of confidence, God is our refuge and strength, or that God, Psalm 121, will protect our steps all the way, or Psalm 138, that God will not forsake the work of his hands, or Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, or Psalm 73, he will guide me and he will take me to glory. Why else would God teach his people to sing this way, to pray this way, and talk this way, and believe this way, if God didn't love us and want us to have this? But it wasn't just the Roman Catholics, you see, that, that, that were against assurance. The writers of the Canons of Dort recognized that, that what was gained in the Reformation, when we return to an understanding that salvation is in Christ alone and we can have assurance. It's not by our works, but all of Christ's work that we stand righteous before God. They realize now that what the Arminians were teaching, what was gained in the Reformation would now be lost if the Arminians won. And so there was a challenge here within the Reformed Church because Jacob Arminius was a Reformed pastor. And so the Synod of Dort said, we must oppose, we must refute this. Now, the Arminians also, at least some of them, came to the point of saying that it's possible for you to know for sure tonight that you are a Christian, but you can't know that you'll be one tomorrow. And again, that fits with Arminian theology, right? If, if the deciding factor is man, right? God does the same thing for everyone in Arminian theology. And then some of those for whom God does the same thing find it within themselves to believe That's the critical deciding factor. You believe, well, then how do you know you're going to believe tomorrow? You might stop believing. 
So the only way God could give you assurance is if he goes into the future and he foresees the future and says, oh, I see you're going to make it to the end. Then he comes back and tells you, you know what, you're going to make it to the end. You see? So also in Arminian theology, you need a special revelation. And yet it's not just Roman Catholic theology and Arminian theology, but sometimes even in Reformed traditions, that there's not much desire for assurance. Kevin DeYoung, in his book on the canons, writes, In some church traditions, sadly, in some Reformed traditions, it is thought inappropriate and out of reach for most normal Christians to have assurance. You can still find churches like these where few people come to the Lord's table, fearing that they would eat and drink judgment on themselves. Confidence in Christ is something not normally available to the Christian on this side of death. Instead, it can become a mark of real piety to be radically uncertain of one's position before the Lord. Anything more would be arrogant presumption, according to that thinking. So even in some Protestant traditions, and even among some Reformed, I think it's a small segment, but some, there could be this idea that assurance can't, be had by most people or isn't good. This can be the result of imbalanced preaching, wrong doctrine. But in the canons of Dor here, we confess that assurance is a gift of God, both to know that we are in the present state of grace and we shall remain here to the end. And this assurance is good and desirable. It doesn't lead to pride and self-sufficiency, but it ministers to humility and to love and to joy and fruitfulness. It's no more dangerous than a child who knows for certain that mom and dad will love me tomorrow. That's not dangerous. That's that's the wonderful basis of their smiles. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Who said that? It wasn't just the Apostle John. God said that. It's just God's word. God, the Holy Spirit, says to you, I am writing, I have written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Our loving Heavenly Father is not pleased to leave us in doubt and confusion and uncertainty. He nowhere says in his word that, you know, for you to have all kinds of doubts about where you stand with me, that's a good thing. Nobody says, I want you to trust me. I want you to rest in me. I want you to be able to smile. I want you to be able to rejoice in me. I want you to be glad in the Lord. So we confess in Article 9 that of this preservation of the elect, we may and do obtain assurance. Not just that we can have assurance, but that by God's grace we do gain assurance. The Bible gives us promises, and it gives us comfort, and the Spirit works in our hearts. Think of the Apostle Paul's exuberant praise in Romans chapter 8. And he, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he ends in Romans 8, for I am persuaded, I know for certain 
that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things that are coming tomorrow, the next day, nor, nor the highest, nor the depths, nor, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know that, Paul says. He's writing here not simply as an apostle who got some special revelation. No, he's writing as a believer here, and he's writing about us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Assurance of salvation is not some extraordinary thing for a, a group of certain, or for a group of, of select super Christians. Assurance is the real and regular expectation of God's people. It's not some pot of gold at the end of a rainbow that you can never get to, but it's, it's what God wants to minister to the hearts of his people. Talking a little bit here about doubts, but assurance is a gift. And we confess that concerning, Article 9, concerning the perseverance of true believers in faith, believers can and do become assured in accordance with the measure of their faith. And so where we lack assurance, we can grow in our faith to have greater assurance. Our faith can grow in strength. How does it do that? Well, notice secondly tonight, the basis. We have to, if we want to grow in the faith, we have to go to the basis. Say, what's supporting this belief that God will keep me? What's the, what's the basis of this assurance? And what is that? Well, many today are hungry for something apart from God's word, right? We, we love stories about human experiences, about, about something miraculous occurring, supposedly, about somebody telling us this extraordinary testimony of what God did in their life, and, or we want to see some special sign, or have seen an angel or something. But where does the Bible tell us to find assurance? God calls us to trust his word. It's in the scriptures that he declares that he is the God who's ever faithful to his people. It's in the word that Jesus declares that he's going to lose none of the ones the Father gave him. And so we're not to be wiser than God by saying, you know, the word is good, you know, that's good, but I want a sign. No. This assurance, however, is not produced by any peculiar revelation contrary to or independent of the word of God. Article 10. Roman Catholics said you need a special revelation. Some Arminians said you need a special revelation. People today say, I want a special revelation. And our forefathers, upon the basis of God's word, said no. Assurance is produced not by some extra revelation, but by the revelation of the word. I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. That's what we sing sometimes. That's a biblical prayer. God, I don't need a new revelation. I need the dimness of my soul taken away so when I read the word, I believe the word. So your promise will be enough for me and I'll take you at your word. That's the first thing the canons mention as the basis of assurance, the promises of God. Article 10, this assurance is not produced by some extra revelation independent of the word, but it springs from faith in God's promises, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort. Promises he's most abundantly revealed in his word. It is amazing, isn't it, if you go through the Bible and just read all the promises 
come to you in psalms and song form. They come to you in declarations and the epistles. They come to you in, in God showing how he sticks with his people through the Old Testament. God gives us words, his promises. You just take Psalm 23, for instance, such a familiar psalm, but but God puts it in our mouths to say, the Lord's my shepherd, I lack nothing. I have a shepherd who makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, he comes and he restores my soul. He, he's the one who leads me in paths of righteousness, doesn't let me go my own way. Uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even then I'm not going to be afraid. You don't want me to be afraid, God, because you've promised you're going to be with me. When enemies come around me, Lord, you're going to spread out a table and set up a banquet because you're greater than my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You're going to pursue me, God, every day of my life with your goodness and with your mercy. You're not going to let me go. And you're going to see to it that I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What, what a song that God puts in the mouths and hearts of his people. And to think how that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that, that the Savior bled to make Psalm 23 a reality. The Savior bled to purchase for us the realities of Psalm 23. He didn't run away when he saw the wolf coming, but he laid down his life for his own. And he was willing to be forsaken by God, to have God turn his back on him, to endure the full covenant curse, to be cut off from a God and abandoned from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that, he as the good shepherd could say now, God will never forsake you. I as your shepherd will never, ever leave you. Are you living by the promises tonight of the word? Trusting what God has spoken. God has not been ambiguous in the least. Right? Employer might be ambiguous. Might say, you know, I think we'll keep you around. Huh, what does that mean? Sometimes friends are ambiguous. Close and then far and close and far. Not sure if they're going to stick with you. Some have sadly found spouses or parents ambiguous. But our God is not ambiguous. It is crystal clarity. It's shouted from the mountaintop. I will not forsake you. And it's proven by the blood of the cross, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, there are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 1. But the promises by themselves aren't enough. Because the promises by themselves fall upon deaf ears and dead hearts. And we need then the Spirit. The second thing the canons mention as the basis of assurance is the Spirit. Herman Bovink writes, To this consideration in the second place must be added the testimony of the Holy Spirit, 
The Holy Spirit is the great almighty witness of Christ who testifies of Christ in our hearts, brings us to the point of faith in his name and causes us to know the things that are given to us in Christ. Now, it's not that the Spirit brings a different revelation in the Word. The Spirit works through the Word, but the Spirit ministers this Word to us. He opens our eyes to it. He opens our ears to it. He convicts us by it. And he causes us to know ourselves, to know our sin and our guilt and our need of Jesus. And he he causes us also to know our fellowship with Christ, that we've been united with him. He becomes to us the spirit of adoption, by which we know God is our Father. Causes us to cry out, Abba, Father, in confidence. He gives us peace with God. He comforts our souls. He seals to us the promises of God's word. And so the, the two engines, the twin engines of the assurance of faith and the assurance of perseverance. Picture assurance as a, a jet soaring through the sky. The twin engines are the promises of God and the spirit of God working in perfect harmony. But the vapor trail that follows is the third thing. And that's our clear conscience and our obedient living. That's the third thing the canons mention as the basis. Assurance comes from a serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. Now, some have become too introspective. Always asking, have I done enough? Am I holy enough? Do I believe enough? And when you do that, when you turn inward on yourself, you lose assurance. Because the answer is, I'm weak. I fail God. Remember Charles Spurgeon said something like, when, when I look within, the dove of peace departs. But when I look to Christ, the dove of peace returns. But you see, the point is this, that if we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, then we will live differently. There will be a vapor trail. John says things like this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. 1 John 3, verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. You see, as we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, as we walk in his commandments, we, we gain this, this confirmation That the Spirit is working in me. I'm a new creation. I see myself walking in God's commandments willingly and joyfully and not for the praise of men, but because I love my Father. And so you have that assurance that that you are a new creation, that the Lord lives in you. But when we defile our conscience by walking in disobedience, then we lose assurance. If there's no vapor trail, then we wonder if the jet plane is flying or if it's on the way to crashing. So we are called to keep a clean conscience. And that brings us to this last thing, the struggle for assurance. 
seeing the gift of assurance and the basis of assurance, but think finally tonight of the struggle for assurance. Now, on the one hand, assurance belongs to the essence of faith. Because to believe is to believe, right? Believers, by definition, believe, and believing is trusting in Christ. That's the direction, the the direct activity of faith, to rest in Christ, to trust in Christ. But we confess tonight that the reflexive act of experiencing and enjoying the assurance of that faith is not always fully enjoyed. And so the same word that gives us these promises and says God will keep you to the end is the same scripture that shows us that believers struggle with assurance. So the Psalms have these glorious Psalms of confidence. The Lord's my shepherd. I'm going to lack nothing. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then Psalms of where are you, God? What's going on? Have you forsaken me? There are reasons for doubt at times. The wrong understanding of salvation leads to doubt, right? If you, have a, if you believe salvation is partly based on what you've done, if you believe in a kind of works salvation, then you always have doubt because you'll never know if you've done enough. I mean, it's a sad thing when you see so-called Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on doors, right? Or, I mean, you see people that have these ladder rungs they have to climb. I mean, that's, a, that's a, a hamster wheel, right? How do you, you're not getting anywhere. You're never going to be assured. You see, do 2,000 doors today, is that enough? 40,000 doors next year? I mean, where, where do you know that you've done enough? But also weak faith is a cause of doubting. We haven't been ministering to our faith by sitting under the preaching of the word or meditating on the word. Prayerlessness leads to doubt, so we're not calling upon the Lord and enjoying that relationship of communion with him, to call upon him in faith, to ask for assurance. Sometimes prolonged trials lead to, to doubts, right? Things go on and on. Where are you, Lord? Don't you love me? Why is this happening? Oftentimes, doubts arise from a wounded conscience. When we are doing something we know we should not be doing or not doing something we know God commands, and we know we're not obeying the word, we lose confidence that we are the Lord's. But it's the Lord who wants to minister to our confidence by leading us to repentance, by leading us to the truth, by leading us near to himself, by leading us away from doubting his word. And it's good news tonight that God knows all about the doubts and struggles of his people. Just, just look at the Old Testament saints and, and the struggles of the patriarchs and all people throughout, throughout the history of the Old Testament, the ways they wrestled and the ways they doubted. Look at Job who began so strong, right? The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But hanging out with some friends with some bad theology didn't help. Job, as the trial wore on, right, he began to waver and say some things he shouldn't have said. And yet, how gracious God is to us in all of this. Meanwhile, Scripture testifies that believers have to contend in this life with various doubts of the flesh, and that under severe temptation, they do not always experience this full assurance of faith and certainty of perseverance. 
But God, the Father of all comfort, does not let them be tempted beyond what they can bear. But with the temptation, he also provides a way out. And by the Holy Spirit, revives in them the assurance of their perseverance. The gracious God is to his children, always drawing them back, always coming again by his word, always coming to minister once more. What a glorious Father we have. What a gracious, gracious God. Some have known kind fathers and gracious fathers who are abundant and lavish and proclaiming to their children their love for them, demonstrating it, being faithful to them. But no earthly father has fully imitated, oh no, not by a long shot, the love of the Father in heaven, who labors and labors to bring his children to confidence that they are his now and forever. And so the good news tonight is this, if you struggle with assurance, then there's only two reasons. Either you are outside of Christ and you haven't confessed your sin and you haven't put your faith in Jesus and then the gospel would say, come. Christ receives all those who come to him. Come and he will give you rest. Or you are in Christ. But you're struggling with doubts and yet you have a father who wants to give you the assurance that you are his child. And so as you in prayer cry out to him, he's not going to turn away. With a deaf ear, he's not going to say, ah, too bad for you. you. Come to the Father and say, why am I struggling with doubts? Am I misunderstanding what you've said? Is there sin in my life that I'm refusing to repent of? Am I not, am I not laboring to live in faith and walk in union with you? Father, come and comfort me. Come and assure me. Come and lead me in your way. And he will gladly do that. He will gladly do that. How gracious he is. How good he is. So don't be content without assurance. Don't be content without assurance. And don't think to yourself, God gives it just to a few super Christians. No, but for every one of his children, this is God's will for you. To know that you are his. And that you are his forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, how gracious and kind you are. We are humbled by your love for us. We praise you that you are better than all the religions that mankind and nations can come up with. How glorious is the truth of a God who gave his beloved son and gives his spirit to minister comfort. And Father, we recognize that within your church, some of us struggle with doubts and assurance more than others. But Lord, we know that you have mercy upon each of us in our struggles, and you have abundant mercy for those with deep struggles. Pray that your word and spirit would bring clarity, and that you would hear the cries of your children, that you would not let Satan tempt us to think that we could never be confident, but that instead, Lord, you'd help us to see the clarity of your word, that you have written your word, that we may know that we have eternal, eternal life. Well, God, teach us that word. Thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you for strengthening our faith from week to week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.